0: at some point this is where ar and br is going to go there's no reason why you and i we want to hang out that we have the option of go to a movie have dinner go to a nightclub have a phone call have a cup of coffee whatever like we have these like seven or eight options right why aren't there thousands of options yeah there should be so many and that's why i think that founders need to think bigger this is christian o'brien managing editor at nfx In this episode, NFX partner James Courier connects with investor Cyan Bannister in a conversation about AR, VR, and the future of human interaction. Cyan has previously invested in Uber, Thumbtack, SpaceX, Postmates, and many other companies, and is also an entrepreneur herself. This is the NFX Podcast.
1: You're a former founder, You're Mm -hmm. uh, now an early stage investor, angel investor, early stage. Uh, You're an early stage investor in Uber, Niantic, SpaceX, and a bunch of others, so many others. Uh, You spent four years at the Founder Fund, and now you've joined uh, our friends, Brian Balfour and Lee Jacobs at Long Journey Ventures. Uh, You grew up in Arizona. You're a self-taught engineer. And last time you and I saw each other was at the lobby in Hawaii, David David Hornick's The Lobby. And you and I share many loves uh, that hopefully we can talk about today, and we see the world in, in similar ways. I feel like the reason that we wanted to have you on here is just because you're such a futurist and we love to spend our time in the future as well. And, you know, you see things as they could be, not as they are. And you've got this future orientation in everything you do. So you're spending all your time thinking and dreaming about what the future looks like and investing in people who are creating it. And and, and what does that mean to you? This this futurism, this future mindset, how to express what that's like to other people who are listening.
0: So when people pitch me on their idea, often it's at the earliest stages of a company, right? So there's there's not traction, there's not anything to really quantify. So it's all qualitative. And so one of the things that I like to do is daydream and see if I can visualize this future that they're trying to paint for me. And if I can, uh, then I try to figure out like, what are the steps? Is now the right time? You know, how far are we from that future? And is this the right team to actually execute that? And so like, for example, with Pokemon Go, in my Niantic investment and you know, um, right before they spun out of of Google, I identified that they had this uh, app called Ingress. And I started playing Ingress and I started asking myself questions like, what is it that Google is using this app for? You know, it just can't be just to capture portals and play this game. There has to be a bigger picture to this. It's Google after all, right? And I started dreaming about what that future would look like. This is going to be the most amazing application in the future. And unfortunately, I couldn't invest in it at the time. So I just kind of dreamed about investing in it. And then they spun out as part of Alphabet, uh, the whole reorganization that Google did. And a friend of mine messaged me and he said, you know, now's the time to invest if there ever was any, you know, so I... I was just like, this is great. But what was really interesting was trying to convince other people um, of this future that I saw. So that's what's been the most challenging part about my job, which I'm sure you also run into, which is trying to convince other people about what you see.
1: Yeah. So why, gosh, so many things are there. Um, number one, you said you, when you, do, you allow yourself to become obsessed with something. Who mm-hmm. has the time in this busy world? To allow themselves that indulgence of getting obsessed with something. Speak to me about the grandeur of obsession.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I go pretty deep with the products that I use and try and get very, very immersed in them it, because I it's not that I'm trying to solve problems they are just my problems. You know, um, you see that a lot with some investors. It's more I want to believe in that future and I need to really immerse myself in it. So like, for example, I just invested alongside, you know, personally, as well as with Long Journey, a company called Pop Shop Live It's one of the first deals that we did together. And I'm a seller on the weekends. So I sell things and and I really, really enjoy it. And that's how I got into it was pretending that that is my world and that's all that matters to me. And, you know, seeing how the tool works and how the fans come in and how they engage with me and how I sell product is all part of how I evaluate things. And so I can visualize that being a really big application with global reach and being very impactful to people, which is why I get really excited about it. So I don't know how I have the time, to be honest with you. I just make it, I guess. Um, It just becomes part of my life. Like I like to invest in things that become part of my life.
1: Well, it's interesting because there is a culture uh, in in the tech world of, of intellectualism and intellectualism is often just being smart. And often being smart is something we learned in school or something we learned from a mentor. But what you're saying is that part of this futurism is allowing there to be a daydream, allowing there to be an obsession, an immersion um, that seems so indulgent. It's a little bit anti intellectual, (laughs) anti thinking. It's more about the feeling. It's not even, it's past a feeling and a thinking, it's toward a living, right? And yes. that's, 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 uh, that's a powerful way of, of thinking about it. And I love hearing that from you. So the other thing you mentioned was that you, when you have these daydreams, you think, when is the time for this to come, right? So, so I had a friend who always thought 15, 20 years in the future, he would talk about these things. I was like, dude, that's not gonna happen forever. And then other people are sort of following trends that they already see. Like, oh, I'll invest in the next Uber or whatever. You know right after Uber got invested, but what is the right amount of time for you to want to make an investment where you think it's going to come? Is it two years in the future? Is it four years in the future? Is it six months from now?
0: Um, probably I take a very long time horizon for my investments. So a lot of my investments take, you know, 10 years or more to pay out <laughs> at some point. So I think that I'm patient with showing some traction, some results in the first couple of years. And I think that would prove whether or not you have some kind of fit and and whether the timing is correct. You know, you think about Uber and Niantic and SpaceX, and some of these investments I've done, they're all category defining companies that are actually creating a whole new way of doing things. So with, with Uber, that was based off of Kind of my ideological beliefs, you know. It was I was really, really obsessed with how the taxi industry worked, and I sat and basically evaluated the entire medallion system to try to figure out like why is it on a rainy day I can't get a taxi, you know? Why why are they so poorly maintained? Why is it that this taxi driver drives like a bat out of hell to and from the airport? And if you sit and you analyze the economics of it, you figure out why. And so there was nothing I could really do about it other than be upset. And, you know, and so along came Uber and it was the answer to my prayers. It was really interesting because if you allow yourself to daydream and think about the problems in the world, then along comes a company and a founder who sees the world in that way. And maybe it's not the exact way that you see it, but it's close enough, you know? And, and so that basically they came along and said, we're going to fix this whole thing. We're going to disrupt this entire ecosystem. We're going to destroy the medallion. If you're going to have that kind of, there's gotta be a founder fit, right? So you've yeah. got to like if you you know Travis. Yeah. So um with so you gotta have someone like Travis to be at the helm of a company and an idea like that. So a lot of people found his abrasiveness and you know the culture of Uber, you know, they they it made them uncomfortable. But at the same time, if you're gonna on regulators and you're gonna fight an entrenched establishment, right? Like that's the only way to do that is to have that kind of cutzpa. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, um, yeah. Yeah. and so basically all those things had to kind of align in my mind in order to make sense of that investment. Yeah. And at the time it really didn't make a lot of sense. You know, there was the, the marketplace wasn't working, you know, um, it's still
1: a black car service at that time.
0: Yeah, it was still a black car service. It's called yeah. Uber cab. Yeah. And uh, I think they only had one or two drivers. They were paying them full time to drive around. Right. So the on demand, you know, get a car thing just wasn't working yet. Yeah. So it's a, it was definitely a leap of faith.
1: Yeah. Cabulous was out there. Cabulous was already out there and had been out there for about a year by the time Uber came along.
0: Yeah. So I think that um, mostly it was just, I think people are at their breaking point. They're unhappy with the taxi industry. There's this narrative going that people will not get into strangers' cars, but I didn't think that was true because we did anyway. And, you know, all of that just sort of led to the right decision. And it's really interesting like how that works, but had right. I not allowed myself to daydream
1: about taxis, right? I don't know that yeah.
0: I would have made that investment.
1: Right. Daydream about taxis and also daydream about people getting into strangers' cars. Right? Because yes. this was a social barrier that you had to believe people would get over or sleep on their extra airbeds at Airbnb or that sort of thing. Correct. Like There there has exactly. to be a social change. And, you know, this gets it. what's so interesting about you is that, you know, your origin story is really unusual for tech, right? I mean... You've come out and talked about how you were homeless as a teenager and under bridges and begging for, for spare change before you became a self-taught engineer. And then you find your way to Silicon Valley. And how does this really as part of your life inform sort of who you are now and how you see the Hmm. world? Because you were able to imagine that people would get into strangers' cars, no problem.
0: So I think that part of it is I'm really, really in touch with an unusual experience, right? And so I'm not going to say I'm completely unique. There are other people in the tech industry who have confided in me and come to me and said, you know, I lived in a car, or I was on the streets, or I had this kind of family life as well. But um, it is fairly unique. And I think that I had a lot of service-oriented jobs when I first started out. I didn't immediately become an engineer. You know, I was working at record stores, sweeping floors, um, food service industry, retail. You know, it. It always changed and I always improved my life every step that I took, but it gave me a fine appreciation for how things work. And part of how I think I got to where I am was was being just endlessly curious about the things that were around me. And I think it makes me a fairly good investor as well. So, you know, if, if I wasn't curious about how systems work and I, I sit down and I write down the questions of like, why is it that Chipotle only has you know, six items or something like that. Right. Um, or in and out, or, you know, I like to analyze businesses and try to figure out what makes them special.
1: Sure, or what are the thickest magazines at the airport uh, newsstand?
0: Yes. And yeah. why are they thick? Right. You know, um, if you try to figure out the economics of anything and why it works the way it does, it's really fascinating. And so, you know, that endless curiosity just kind of got me to where I am. And um, and I think it helps me to identify people who also have those traits um, that are solving problems that are actually real problems.
1: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, that outside-the-box thinking that um, is so critical to actually coming up with category-defining companies like an Uber or a SpaceX, um, you know, if you can really relate to that because of the unique situation you've been in. So, you know, the other thing I so much admire about you is how you paint outside the lines in terms of your thinking, but you also paint inside lines. So, So you're painting inside the lines by living in Silicon Valley, by being a venture capitalist, by investing in billion dollar companies, um, and being proud of it and doing it well and doing it repeatedly. But you're also painting outside the lines, right? I mean, you you founded Zivity in 2007, which was an adult photo sharing site, right? You raised about 8 million and and I guess uh, it ended in about 2017. I mean, you've shared your story about being homeless. What does sharing these sides of yourself publicly allow, sharing yourself publicly, allow you to see about Silicon Valley and about yourself? I mean, because this is all, all this we're doing is just a journey for our own transformation, right? So.
0: Well, the the biggest thing is I'm facing my biggest fears, you know, my biggest fear in the world for the longest time. And it was the thing that held me back professionally was public speaking. Mm. And, you know, so I would put myself out there on purpose, you know, and really make myself vulnerable. And um, you can't be more vulnerable than being naked on the internet. I'll tell you that. Uh, So once you do that, it's like, nothing can harm you. Nothing can touch you. You know, it's really interesting the psychology that came along with that experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, I also developed an appreciation for who I am through it. Uh, I had, you know, a a complete disassociation with my physical self for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so being able to take photographs and appreciate myself in that way, uh, was a gift. And I actually wanted to give that gift to other people. So if you talk to other people from Zibity and during that time period, I think you will overwhelmingly discover that people really enjoyed and it, you know, being on the site and being part of the community as well as how they viewed themselves afterwards. So it was a lot more than just pictures, right? I think pictures were just, you know, you can get pictures anywhere. Zibity was more just a community and a patronage site. Eventually, you know, we have Patreon and Kickstarter, but we really invented that category. Mm -hmm. And and so I'm pretty proud of that. You know, it was incredibly hard. So when I raised money for the site and um, when we set out, me and my co-founders, to build this company, the knee-jerk reaction in Silicon Valley was, oh my gosh, you guys are starting a porn company. You're crazy. You know, I had so many people that would come up to me and they'd find out, who I was or what I did and the handshake would get retracted. Um, And then, you know, and some people leaned in. So it was interesting because some people like left and some people, you know, were much more interested in what I was doing and very helpful. So it was a really interesting filter, you know, for the world. And um, I have to say that Zibity really, really helped me. And in so many ways, one I got to start a company from beginning to end and see the entire life cycle of it. Uh, It also helped me with some of my investments. So had I not raised capital myself, you Mm -hmm. know, um, hired people, had layoffs, unfortunately fired people, um, you know, the whole system behind it, I wouldn't have identified opportunities like Carta. So when, when Carta was eShares, they pitched on stage and I thought to myself immediately like, oh my gosh, cap table management is horrendous, Mm. you know, and it has nothing to do with pen-up photography, (laughs) Um, Every business faces this problem, including Vivity. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it helped me identify an opportunity. And I think that's why I do think a lot of investors should try. If they haven't, should try to either uh, intern or be a part of a business or help operationally understand a business. It's not necessary, but at the same time, I think it makes you a lot more in touch and in tune with founders and mm-hmm. their experience and how hard it is to build the things that they build. I, it drives me crazy when you're online and people are like, Oh, two engineers can do that in a weekend. Yeah. And you're like, great. No, <laughs> that's
1: no, not true. But that's okay. not how it
0: works. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. This thing about having people pull back their hands when they found that you were running Zivity and there's this sort of, this sort of mainstream reaction to various new ways of thinking. I mean, you've been experimenting with different hairstyles and how you show up and, and whatnot. And I think there's just so much of a lesson there because I mean, what drives you to be like that? Do you know? Is it, is it uh, love? Is it yeah. facing your fears? Is it, is it some sense of power over your life? I mean, because the Ziviti people were going through the psychological journey, each of them, within your community. It's not just pictures, it's actually humans evolving, exploring, right? Growing. And, and you were too by creating that context for all of them. I mean, what's, what's behind that for you? Because, because that's the essence of Silicon Valley. That's the essence of creation. That's the essence of creating the future. And you're, you're demonstrating that. You're living it out loud. And I'd love to hear you speak to
0: that. Yeah, I'm, it's funny that you would identify this. Of course you would. Um, you're always really good at, at seeing these things. But, you know, I think that to me, life is performance art in a game. You know, we're all playing a game. It's uh, different for every single one of us. But, you know, at the end of the day, the only people who keep score are ourselves. Um, but I like to wake people up around me. And one of my heroes of all time in life is Bill Murray. Like he's my, my spirit animal. You know, I think that he lives his life and he, all of the art that he makes from what I can tell, I haven't seen a lot of his movies, but it seems to have this recurring theme about being present, appreciating the now, you know, being very curious, seizing the day, you know, those sorts of things. And so I try to live my life that way to the best of my ability. I really wish I could get rid of email and my phone and everything that Bill Murray does. But if anything, I kind of channel Bill Murray in a way, my perception of Bill Murray. And I try to bring a little bit of that to Silicon Valley. So I think Silicon Valley can sometimes be too serious. It's getting more serious by the day, actually, Mm -hmm. which is kind of sad. Because when I first got involved in tech, things were a lot more futurist. And everybody was very bright eyed and everything was promising and anything was possible. Mm-hmm. And the energy was infectious. Right. And now we see some of that still, but it's also only capital driven. You know, people care more about, you know, the, the monetary outcome of something than they care about the journey or what they're actually changing sometimes. And that can be fatiguing. You know, it's not what I got into this for. And so I think part of what I'm trying to do, uh, I even have fun with outfits I wear on stage. Like I, I spoke at uh, some disrupt thing and I wore this head to toe Hawaiian outfit that was just really loud. And I was channeling Hunter S. Thompson that day. I was like, you know, I'm going to be Hunter S. Thompson. And people were talking to me about it, but it was a way for me to just get people to be silly and and remember their kind of childish selves their curious selves in because they really feel like we're just losing touch with it. And, uh, yeah. you know, if I'm going to get up and do talks cause I don't really need to is, yeah. you know, I may as well have fun with it and try to reach someone,
1: totally.
0: you know, if I can reach someone in the audience or if I can reach someone by talking or doing a podcast or anything
1: or by how then, you do your hair or by what you're wearing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Then I, and I, a lot of people will reach out to me and because of how I present myself, they identify themselves in me. And they'll say, I'm not different from you. So how is it that you got to where you are? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, I yeah. absolutely love it when they stop me and they're like, how did you get here? Mm. I don't find it insulting at all because mm. that's a dreamer. You know, I find them and they're, they're dreaming about something different, something yeah. bigger, um, or trying to grow themselves every day. And I think that's really magical.
1: Oh, I love it. And when you say when you first got involved with Silicon Valley, when did you arrive here? What was that? What was that first four or five year period where the energy was infectious? Anything was
0: yeah. possible. Uh, yeah, so I got involved with the internet. So I consider my generation of people who got involved in the tech industry to be the builders. Mm. Uh, we were the pipe layers. Um, mm. So a lot of my background is in um, internet infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So I worked, my first tech job was actually not in Silicon Valley, it was in Arizona. And um, what it year was, was that? Oh, I want to say like 96, 96, 96 97. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. So. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Uh, but it, somewhere in there. Yep. And I started reading all these magazines and saw basically all of these companies that were exciting and they were all in Silicon Valley. And mm-hmm. it's was like, they're not here in Arizona. There's nothing. This is a one way ticket to nowhere land here. Mm-hmm. So I picked up everything and I came to Silicon Valley. And at the time, you know, Google had just launched, um, search was <clears> a thing, <throat> right? It was yep. like being able to find things on the internet mm-hmm. was a miracle.
1: So this is 98.
0: Yeah, so 98, probably yeah. like 98, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there was something just so miraculous. First, it was the miracle of getting online, right, mm-hmm. in the first place and discovering anything. And then it was the miracle of being able to talk to someone. And I remember back then, we used to see this future, this Zoom future, seems so far off. And mm-hmm. it's funny, like, how we take it for granted, right? Like, you mm-hmm. and I are having this conversation that in 98 would have seemed impossible, right? It, like, we knew it was... Cr- coming but we yes. just didn't know when um and so back then people had webcams that took still photos mm-hmm. you know and so like that was the state of the art then <laughs> mm-hmm. um got it so so yeah. you you
1: you you jump in in 98 you're 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 first touching the internet in 97 98 and there was this less serious there was this hobbyist approach there was this creativity first money as fuel for creativity and right. now what you're saying and what you're seeing is that it's now money first and the creativity yes. serves the money. Correct. Right? And yeah. so, what's the diagnosis? I mean, that's the diagnosis. What's the prescription?
0: I really think that one, it's it's on the venture side is one. You know, um, there are firms that could think differently about how they deploy capital and who they deploy it with, mm-hmm. and what sort of uh, outcomes they're looking for. Like we all have LPs, right? And LPs have different risk profiles. But I do think that we need to encourage people to to dream big, and you know, and to solve really meaningful problems. And, uh, you know, people may argue that sandwich delivery is not a meaningful problem, but it actually is. You know, I think that it creates millions of jobs. It allows people to have their time back, which is incredibly valuable. So I have people who say, oh, that's not a valuable company, but clearly it is. And, you know, um, Postmates is what I'm talking about. But yeah, so um, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But I think that, you know, uh, I, I really wish people tried to figure out how things work. Like, where did that hacker mentality go Mm. it doesn't seem to exist Mm. you know um it does in a few little areas so if you look at like crypto and you look at like ar and VR and Mm -hmm. some of the real frontier categories Mm. there's still some of that bright eyedness that you can recognize Mm. the naivety you know that we don't know what's going to happen so i'm kind of addicted to spatial computing for that reason because Mm -hmm it is a unknown territory of which we really don't know when it's going to happen yeah. and you know what it's going to look like. I I am addicted to finding those little pockets mm-hmm. and cause I recognize, I just remember the, I'm sure you remember, what was it like when you got online the first time? Amazing. Amazing.
1: Just sitting there Doing late the night, just coding, coding the, you know, coding the HTML and learning HTML from the things that you would print out about how to code HTML. Yeah, it was great.
0: Yeah. And then like putting up a website and somebody coming to it, And seeing the little click, like little counter thing count up, you're like, wow, there's human beings looking at what I'm making.
1: This is amazing. So, Is it a a function there of the time in which we find ourselves 25 years into the advent of this new type of technology? And therefore, of course, things age, you know, and when the the great time to make railroads was sort of 1830s to 1860s, 1870s. If you're making railroads in the 1880s, it's kind of hard. You know, are we just later in the cycle? Is that what's killing this? Or do you think it's actually something culturally we could do, some language, some approach, some mental models that we could bring to Silicon Valley that would help reinvigorate that playfulness, reinvigorate the, the fun, the curiosity?
0: I would like to think it's cultural because I do think that we haven't solved everything. We have not figured out every problem. We have not stretched the internet in all the ways that it can be stretched. You know, it really bums me out when people are like, well, this is it, this is peak, you know? And it's like, no, we can push further. We can go way further than this. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I think that some people are just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just happy making this Me Too clone of this other company and, you know, selling it for a couple hundred million dollars and I'll be happy with that. And to me, that's not that's not why I got into this. Yeah. You know, I ended up making a lot of money, which is fantastic. And I was able to help other people make a lot of money and have wonderful jobs and careers, and hopefully will continue to do so. But it's definitely not my driving motivation. You know, right. I don't, I'm not gonna lie and say I don't like money. I do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but those two things can be in unison with one another, you can like making money. And that can be a mission in your life. And it can align with this bigger purpose. So oh. I would just love to see more of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I think that, that as VCs, we particularly have uh Responsibility to strike the tone around that, around the creativity and around the, the uh, thinking big and and you know speaking to people who who think big, the, you know speaking to people who think outside the box to know that to let them know that they're welcome and they're not going to get trod on by the machine that is um, is becoming more and more this ecosystem that we're in. Um, so one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past that that we both love is these artificial beings, right? So I was on the, I was on the board of Second Life for five years and Philip Rosedale is an amazing futurist himself. You know, we would talk about creating a thing called Pomo, which was going to be this child that was going to be born in Second Life. And then everyone was going to watch it grow up and it was going to become sentient. And, you know, it was going to, you know, eventually pass the Turing test and whatnot. Um. Can you tell us about Lucy and little Michaela and what's going on with yeah. that? Because it's a fascinating part of your investing th- uh, thesis.
0: Yeah. So um, I became obsessed with this space um, after seeing Hatsune Miku. And say again.
1: Say again. You just cut out because. Uh... Oh,
0: after seeing Hatsune Miku. Yeah. Um, so for those that don't know what that is, I highly recommend you go to YouTube and look it up. Mm-hmm. But she is an avatar um, mm-hmm. who plays music live. And the music is created by fans. Um, So the music is not, um, there's not one central source that's making the music. It's a whole bunch of people contributing and it's fan made. And then she performs it for the fans. And she is uh, not a hologram. Um, She's like a pepper's ghost, I think is what it's called projection. she'll be on
1: stage and she'll be
0: yep she's on stage dancing around
1: yep and she's 15 feet tall sometimes or whatever yeah
0: she's gonna be different heights and sizes and people have these glow sticks and they dance in unison to it and it's like so electric and amazing and so i went to one of those first i saw it online and then i decided i have to go immerse myself in this and experience it and get all into it so you you flew to japan
1: (laughs) did you fly to japan
0: I did not see her in Japan. Um, I saw her tour the, the U.S. And, um, but I have gone to Japan specifically to immerse myself in some of these things. So mm. uh, I am guilty of that. I will go there for like 10 days just to watch people and see how they interact with things and, and with each other. And part of what's really interesting about Tokyo in general is that they have this density that we don't have here. And they have to figure out how to live in unison and in harmony with one another. So they have all these amazing things that we get later, you know, much later. Um, So it's really great to go there and kind of see what our future might look like, right? Hatsumi Miku, I figured, wasn't our future, but culturally, that's not quite who we are. So it wouldn't fit exactly. It's not, it can't be apples to apples, right? So uh, I got a call from Jonathan Trieste. I don't know if you know Jonathan. And it's one of these favorite calls that I get. I remember I was in Hawaii and he says, "Sian, I have this really weird company that only you are going to (laughs) understand. And I was like, "Oh, I love this! I love where this is going." And that was Bread, um, Little Michaela. And so I got on a call with Trevor, and it was so clear that what Trevor's he was the building, CEO. Trevor's and the, he's CEO. the CEO and founder, yeah. and it was so clear that what he was building could could be very big. You know, one of his visions back then—I don't know what it is now. You know, the founder's journey changes. He wanted to create a marble universe, and so what he saw Bread and Little Michaela being as Marvel. And so, as you know, Marvel was a very valuable company and it was based off of original IP. One of the things we've lost the ability to do, it seems, is to create original IP. Mm -hmm. Like, we keep regurgitating and recycling these Marvel characters and Disney characters and going back and reliving childhood, but there's very little new stuff coming out. And so, I took a gamble on little Michaela because I thought, this is so out of the box. And so interesting, and it feels so right. And it feels like this is what is, you know, our little Michaela, or not not our little Michaela, our Sony Miku, right? Yeah. This is the American version yeah. of that. And I felt like it was the right time. And it still remains to be seen whether it is. You know, there's a lot to, that goes into making little Michaela, and it's really, really difficult to do. So um, I also invested in super plastic. So super plastic also has a virtual being component to it. Uh, I invested in AI Foundation, which also does virtual beings. Uh, They do these photorealistic, real-time rendered talking heads, kind of like out of Futurama. Yeah, right. Talk to. Yeah, sure. And then Lucy. Hmm. Uh, So Lucy is a little girl that uh, you can go into VR space with, and she takes you on adventures. Hmm. And she's really curious and you know, she's just really interested in her environment, and uh, eventually, you're going to be able to hang out with Lucy, and Lucy will watch movies with you. And you know, imagine being a child, and you have instead of having a make believe friend, you know, you do have a make believe friend, but it looks really, really realistic, and you can and, really and, get into. And can the we
1: can we converse with Lucy yet, or is that not there yet?
0: Um, not yet. So the last that I saw was that you could interact with her. Um, by like reaching out to her and handing things and she hands things to you and you -hmm. you can be in her space and what you do in her space drives the narrative. Um, But I think that that's the next step, which is you interact and talk with Lucy. She remembers you and she remembers where you guys left off. Because that's the most important thing here is I saw all these, these attempts of people making these things, but they would have no memory. So you would fire up an app you'd have a really good time with a dragon that flies around an AR or something like that. You close the app, it doesn't remember you. Mm. Right. And so in order for us to connect on a human level with anything that, that is driven by machines, it needs to behave in that way. Like for example, the other day, I tried out an app where you can sext people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they're raising money and, uh, and it responds too quickly. So mm. immediately I was just like, I can't, I, 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 am not into this because mm. um, you cannot suspend my disbelief that you're even human.
1: Right. And the founders, so, the founders weren't sensitive enough to that. Right. That they had done it properly already and therefore not the team to back to do that.
0: Yeah. So I, mm. I, I think maybe they'll get there. They'll get that feedback, yeah. but that's one of the things I like about little Michaela. So when you message little Michaela on Facebook, mm. he will respond sometimes a day later. Mm. You know, and it it gives you that sort of feeling of that she could be real. Mm-hmm. This person mm-hmm. might, and and some people, if you look in the comments, are really confused, or they mm. want to be confused.
1: Right? You know,
0: they're they yeah. love this magical play that they're part of. Have you ever been to Sleep No More or um, Meow Wolf?
1: No, not yet. No? Okay,
0: so. so Sleep No More is in New York, and it's wonderful. I highly recommend it. You go in. Uh, you're not allowed to use your phone, Mm. you put on a mask Mm. and you're brought into this immersive theater experience that lasts about three or four hours and you're encouraged to separate from your friends. Mm. So it's a solo experience in which you wander around this gigantic hotel uh, where a story is unfolding around you and you have to figure out what it is. Mm. And, you know, that's, it's so magical that they, they sell, the show sells out every single night. Mm. Um, it's a company called Punch Drunk, and they're really creative. And then there's a, a company in Santa Fe called Meow Wolf. It's the same sort of thing. You basically go in, but this one you can do in groups. And you're in a house where a family once lived, and they mysteriously disappeared, and you've got to figure out where they went. And so you're wandering around this house, and there's nobody to guide you. You know, there's, there's nothing there. Um, I think at some point, this is where AR and BR is going to go. You know, there's no reason why we have to go to Santa Fe or New York. We could put on a headset or we can wander around our own town and transform our town into something really spectacular. Like, there's no reason why you and I, we want to hang out that we have the option of go to a movie, have dinner, go to a nightclub, have a phone call, have a cup of coffee, whatever. Like, we have these like seven or eight options, right? Why aren't there thousands of options? Yeah. There should be so many. And that's why I think that founders need to think bigger. Like mm. there's, you know, um, you don't need AR headsets to create this. We have a mm. phone and the phone is a lens to an invisible world, yeah. you know, um, that you can imagine as and Pokemon so go, of,
1: as Pokemon yeah. go showed us. So, so viscerally. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I think that, you know, and interestingly, a lot of people said, Oh, there's going to be all these Pokemon go clones, yeah. you know, Pokemon was easy to create. Someone yeah. will just create another one. It hasn't happened. Right, And it's because it was not a trivial problem. Like a lot of people thought it was incredibly trivial. Um, And it turns out it's not. And and a lot of people have had a really hard time, you know, duplicating that. Mm. So I don't know. I I don't, I've wandered all over the place. I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, it's great. It's great. I mean,
1: no, because, because no, this, this idea that there are going to be these artificial beings that the, that we're going to have both immersive spaces that we put ourselves into create enhanced states of mind to sort of accelerate our own personal evolution, to accelerate our connection to other people, right? The technology is going to enable that. At the same time, the technology is going to enable us to create new people that will also accelerate our learning and accelerate our experience and enhance our minds. And that could be Lil Michaela, or it could be Lucy, or it could be the next generation of those, those creations. And, and, uh, and you're, you're immersed in the middle of that. I mean, if someone's nervous about that, you know, I've had, I've had some people get tearful when they, they hear me talking about this future. What do, you, what do you say to people who get scared that we're going to replace people with artificial mm. beings or that we're going to walk around with headsets on and, and not really be the way we were in the 70s or whatever?
0: Oh, I think that's impossible. I think um, at the end of the day, we're still human beings and we're still the animals we are. And we know the difference. Um, I don't think you're yeah. going to get so lost in it that you will forget. Um, unless you're like on drugs or something. I have no <laughs> but it doesn't yeah. seem likely. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. I do think we always know that it's not real. Uh we just want to believe it's real and we want yeah. to play for a little while. It's like a yeah. child, you know, yeah. you yeah. you want to go into that childlike zone and make believe for a while and have fun with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think you're gonna get lost in it. Um, I do think that I hear this all the time because you know, with AI Foundation, a lot of people were really concerned about the dystopian nature of deep fakes right, right and right. you know if you can create something that's as realistic as what they've done why couldn't you create you know a Putin or you know and and, and basically create uh, chaos mm-hmm. which you can you know and unfortunately we are heading towards a bright and also a dark future mm. and what what's gonna change is people need to become more skeptical mm. uh, we need to technologically come up with tools that discover and detect you know fake, media and, and videos and AI-generated content, right? So I think that there's this whole frontier out there and we've sol- we'll solve it the same way we solve spam and all of the other problems we've ever ever solved and, you know, to make sure that it, it keeps its humanity intact. Yeah. So I think that AI and artificial beings will be such a huge complement to us. Mm. Um, I don't believe that they're dystopian or dark, uh, I think that it'll help solve some loneliness that people experience, which I Mm -hmm. think is a very valuable thing. Right now, people solve that through like Instagram, which I don't Mm -hmm. think is necessarily valuable. Mm. You know, like looking like an Instagram person all the time and always, you know, looking like you're on vacation and, you know, painting this picture that you're just crushing it and doing all this stuff. That's not real.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) That's, um, that's a fake reality. Already. Right. You know, so
1: I think having a a meaningful conversation with Lucy or a little Michaela would be a lot more real in a way than all the victory that you see on Instagram.
0: It would be. And also, you could discover something about yourself that maybe you never thought possible. And nothing that, if you felt safe talking to um, an artificial being and not a human being, uh, you might be able to confront things that you were never able to confront before and or get things done that you never thought possible. Uh, because without judgment, because you're like that, that being can't judge me. They're not real, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so again, I think a lot of people just immerse themselves. A lot of people cosplay too, right? So if you look at the whole cosplay universe, you know, these people get dressed up and then they act out the scene for a day and, you know, they, they're Pokemon trainers or they're, you know, Dragon Ball Z people or whoever, right? Sure. That's, it's a similar thing. You know, they just want to, they just want to play.
1: Sure. Or um, how they or how they uh create their characters in Second Life or wherever else in the exactly. or, or Burning I Man. I love
0: Second Life by the way.
1: Yeah. Love Second great. Life. Yeah, that was that was 15 20 years ahead of its time. It was incredible. I appreciate uh you spending the time with me today and uh it's great to see you and uh yeah, great to absolutely. hear you and uh thanks so much.
0: Yeah, thank you. Okay.